When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. As per usual, we've recorded pod on the time and then the really important stuff has happened. So this is just to say that uh, Unai Emery has now emerged as the first choice candidate to replace Steve Bruce on a permanent basis. The new owners of Newcastle spoke to Emery and indeed Eddie Howe over the weekend, but Emery is the man that they are going for and have gone for. There is some hope that he could be in place in the dugout for the match at Brighton this weekend. However, we're also told that wages are still to be agreed. And he does also have the small matter of a Champions League tie for his current team, Villarreal, against Young Boys on Tuesday evening. But he's the man they want. It would be a very exciting appointment, I think. Someone who would be the closest to a catch-all candidate, somebody who can lift the club, galvanise the players, lift them from their difficult position at the bottom of the Premier League, and who has a reputation for building teams and building clubs. He has also won 12 trophies. Not that I want to get too excited about that. So anyway, this show was recorded before that development, but don't let that put you off. There's loads of stuff in it, including a chat with Thomas Concannon from War Flags, digesting the Chelsea defeat and looking forward to what comes next. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week... It's a horror story on Halloween weekend as Chelsea take three points at St James's Park. War Flags' Thomas Concannon joins us to talk Geordie Pride and Prejudice. And is it a terrible Halloween prank or will John Terry really be the next Newcastle manager? Jesus, no, he won't. Thank God for that. Yes, this is Pod on the Time. My name's Taylor Payne. Welcome back, one and all. I hope you have a lovely Halloween weekend. Uh, in the words of Ray Parker Jr., Buston makes me feel good. It's been a frustrating <laughs> week in Geordieland. What a lyric that is, Georgia. It's been a frustrating <laughs> week in Geordieland. And here to help me pick the bones out of Saturday's horror show are the Athletics Club correspondent, Chris Woff, and our senior writer, George Colkin. How did you do last night, George? Many sweets when you were trick-or-treating? Did you do all right? Nobody has knocked on my door for about 10 years, so I think I'm seen as the kind of cranky <laughs> cat man um, who kind of... Is that in general or is that oh, on Halloween? God. No, mainly on Halloween. Yeah, I kind of... <laughs> last year, I actually bought loads of sweets and I, I thought, if people knock, I'm going to give them sweets and no one did, so I had to eat them all myself. I think I'm just seen as a, yeah, as a slightly strange, mysterious, slightly haunted, haunted figure. But that's what covering Newcastle United gets, gets for you. Exactly, Chris. How are you doing, mate? You're a bit under the weather, aren't you? I'm a little bit under the weather. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy sort of week that I had off. It was my brother's uh, wedding at the start of last week, so I was, I was best man at that. And then uh, I was moving house, uh, which has gone sort of sort of smoothly, except I've lost my toaster. Cannot find my toaster, which is uh, very very <laughs> upsetting. And then yes, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather now. So I'm sorry, I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> There's nothing worse than raw bread, is there? <laughs> Raw toast. Nothing worse than oh, raw God. toast. So, so yes, but uh, no, it's it's delightful to be back with you two. Obviously, how are you, it's Taylor? Lovely to hear your voice. I'm all right. I'm not bad. It's been a it's been a busy weekend for me as well, and uh, 
coming off the back of it, feeling slightly, well, feeling every single one of my 39 years, I have to be honest, but there you go, we're, uh, we're back in business. Uh, Newcastle didn't give us an awful lot to cheer about at the weekend, uh, but before we continue on with the show, um, we'd definitely like to say get well soon to Kieran Dyer, it looks like uh, it's going to be a tough road for Kieran, who's uh, going to need a liver transplant apparently. Uh, and we'll be rooting for him all the way. And best wishes from everyone at Pot on the Time. Uh, and it's safe to say everybody at The Athletic too. We'll be back in just a tick. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Come on, you Maggies. Right then, chops. Chelsea 3-0 on Saturday afternoon. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea are the Champions League holders and they sit squarely at the top of the Premier League table so there was never going to be an easy fixture was it? Uh, George you must be grateful that Chris uh, put you in the premium fixture for this one. Yes well it makes a little bit of a change. Um, <laughs> I am going to do you fail the task as usual? Well, you didn't really leave me. You didn't That's really leave me much. That's you didn't really leave me much, Chris. I would just like to point out that because Chris is feeling a little bit under the weather, he has now bequeathed me uh, Brighton this weekend as well. So if I do come across on this podcast as really fucking angry, um, yeah. that is the main reason why. But you enjoyed your trip to Brighton last year, didn't you, George? Oh, it was it was a fantastic trip what to a Brighton. Day that last was. Year. Yeah. Yes, it was. I drove there and back, and um, and then. And went for, went went for a run a couple of days afterwards with Chris, in fact, and popped my kneecap as if watching Newcastle uh, capitulate down there wasn't bad enough, and it was. Um, so yeah, it, it it wasn't it wasn't great. It was sort of memories of four years ago came flooding back into my brain as you watch Newcastle just completely and utterly sit back and sort of attempt to uh, soak up pressure and yeah very early day Rafa again just like it was uh, at Crystal Palace and there's that strange thing where you think to yourself oh well it worked it worked for an hour and then it stopped working and then it completely went just to went pot shit, again so yeah. and when when 23% possession or 25% whatever it was doesn't work and then goes spectacularly wrong. It is just like it's horrific. Yeah, all life. Yeah, it's just awful. It was horrific to watch, and and then you know it fell away very badly. It certainly did, Chris. He, he didn't change the system really or the lineup from the Palace match at all, and and it was it was pretty obvious what the game plan was from minute one, wasn't it? We were just going to try and do our best to soak up the uh, the pressure from Chelsea and and hopefully get lucky on the break, but that just didn't happen, did it? Yeah, there was sort of one spell in the game that reminded me of. The, the, the end of the Man City game towards the end of last season where yeah. obviously that had been different and that it, Newcastle had actually had a go and it had been end-to-end. But then there was a period of, of, of the game where I remember sitting at St. James's Park and I couldn't remember a moment where Man City didn't have the ball. And there was a, there was another period with Chelsea like that where just, I can't remember Newcastle having had possession here. And it was it, it did sort of work. First half, I thought Newcastle looked solid. Um, and then... The, the issue that I had with it is not so much the way they set up defensively, but there was no... It, I, I couldn't work out what the plan was when they got the ball. And I, I know I know that it was it seemed to be that he was going to make a couple of changes and then hope that later on they might nick something. But you've, you've got to have at least some idea of what you're going to do and the rare occasions you get the ball. And Newcastle are so sloppy in possession, and they have been for a long while. But I also think yeah. that to an extent, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if you basically play a team... Who doesn't have that many ball? Which doesn't have that many ball players in it? Then you're likely to lose the ball a lot more. And I mean, the the, the direct kicking from Darlow, large part of the time out of play, yeah. was just baffling. It's like the, the, the rare occasion Newcastle had the ball, they just gave it back to Chelsea, and then you were just asking for trouble. And it, it felt inevitable that they were going to score eventually. And then what, as George said, once they did, then it all just 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 fell apart. And it was just worrying in that that idea of. Uh, I didn't have too much of an issue with the game plan off the ball. I would have just liked to have at least been able to 
discern what they were trying to do on the rare occasions they had the ball and I, and I couldn't work out well, what there that was, was there wasn't a game plan with the ball was there they, they were they were absolutely shocking in possession they were so profligate and you know Sean Longstaff and Isaac Hayden in that midfield run around Hayden gets himself booked in the first 10 minutes and 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 we're going to struggle always against Chelsea but when you just can't string more than two passes together George you're you're just inviting it on it was like one of those attack free defense training games wasn't it yeah, totally. I mean, they were. That's exactly how they were set up. I mean, you you know, I think they were. They kept their shape. They kept their positions. But it's this goes back to a very familiar problem. I say familiar, familiar because we've talked about it a lot, and familiar from from watching it since Newcastle came back into the Premier League. That if you get the ball, but you're in the last third of the pitch, where do you, what do you do with it, and where do you where do you go? And I mean, there were some kind of very interesting questions about people like Alan San Maxima, who we all know what he can do, what he's capable of, that he can change a game, that he's, um, you know, he's really the only player in Newcastle have who can do that. But he isn't really suited to a system where you have to work, yeah. you know, work, 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 work. And then if you give him the ball in that position, what is he supposed to do with it? Yeah, and so it's just getting us back to stuff we've talked about for, for what feels like years. And I don't know, you know, when you've got Graham Jones afterwards saying, you know, this does need a new face. I think it does because it's like I'm looking at this team and I can't work out a way that they can play that is going to sort of strike that. I don't, I don't want to use that word balance because it's become a loaded word, mm, but striking yeah. that balance between attacking and defending we know that there were some good attacking players there or decent attacking players there but they can't keep a clean sheet they've conceded 23 goals in 10 games and they've conceded 13 at home which is more than anybody else including Norwich and that's just it's not sustainable it is not sustainable well is Graham Jones being too conservative let's hear from the man himself and what he thinks obviously disappointed with the end result but we were banging the game for 65 minutes it was in the style that uh, we don't want to play like that, but it's where we are at the minute. We have got the Champions League winners and current Premier League leaders here at St James's Park. We had a little bit of momentum, uh, probably the biggest amount of momentum we had in the game just before their first goal. Once the first goal goes in, it becomes a difficult afternoon. We can see two more in the next 15 minutes, so that, that's a disappointment because the game was a lot tighter than that, for a longer period than that. So. We'll chop it up and we'll assess it and we'll try and improve for next week. The plan was to get to a certain point in the game. You, you, you can't be 3-0 down after 20 minutes. So we wanted to get to a certain point in the game and then gamble with some of the players we've got on the bench. I'm just about to make a substitution and we'll concede. So that momentum that you hoped to gain from that substitution was gone. I'm going to go back to the manager's room, pick me bag up and uh, I'll watch the game back. And... Uh, and see where we started to drift and where we tailed off a little bit and see if we can sustain it next time both mentally and physically because there was lots of good things for 65 minutes in terms of being competitive against the Champions League winners. Interesting stuff. Chris, it strikes me that maybe we, we're not fit enough as a group to play football like that for that amount of time. I don't know whether you, whether you feel like that at all, but watching it, I, we look out on our feet after about 45, 50 minutes after. Uh, we came back at half time. We didn't look like we could sustain it. Well, yeah, I don't know if any team can can play for that long without the ball consistently. To be honest with you, against a team as good as Chelsea, who will move things. What, what I was impressed with Chelsea was I know that they didn't really threaten that much in the first half, but they didn't just try one thing. They tried. They were they were happy to to move it about. They were happy to to play balls in from deep. They were happy to play it through the middle, out from out wide. They tried different ways of trying to break Newcastle down, and eventually that happened. I mean. Graham Jones saying we we were banging the game for sixty five minutes. So well, it, they were level, yes, but I I can't I can't we agree were participating. With that we were participating in the game just about. But well, exactly. stayed, I mean, stayed in, in the it. game. Stayed in the game. That was the idea, wasn't it? It was to stay in the game, yeah. and it was to stay in the game for as long as possible, and then and then hope that um, you know one of the attacking players could come on. He was about to make those two um, yeah. two attacking substitutions when the goal came. I mean, he he decided to, I mean, it happened right in front of me. Chelsea were also making changes and he decided to wait to see what, um, to see what they were doing. And he, he then turned back to the bench to say, same shape, same shape, 
So he knew that it was the same shape Chelsea were playing, and so he could still carry on making those substitutions. I mean, that was the mm. idea. It was the idea was to stay stay in it up to that point and then try and find a way of getting forward. And if you bring someone like Almiron on, you know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get up the pitch quickly. I hate watching Newcastle play that way. I mean, particularly at St James's, and it was a great atmosphere again right at the start. It was really good, really loud, and sort of people were cheering tackles and challenges and things like that. But but it, if you are going to play that way, it has to work. You know, it has to work. And more often than not, it did work under Rafa. Um, and... You know that was that was forgivable. I just find it so depressing that here we are, four years later, and it's it's still about the same thing. That, um, you know, it's about sort of eking out. It's about eking out a point, or it's about eking out a result. It's just it's it's and it's awful. It's awful to watch. I've persuaded myself with the first, this is just a slight digression. I've persuaded myself for all three of these games post takeover that. It'll be different, you know. The first game, obviously, it was, you know, brilliant atmosphere and stuff. And it was like, then you remember, oh no, this is still Steve Bruce's team. Here we are, and then Palace, Bruce is gone. Okay, so it's like New Era Part Two. Let's see, and it's like, oh, everybody behind the ball against Crystal Palace, and then same with this one. It's the first St James's sort of occasion uh, without Steve Bruce. There'll be another lift, and you're just being constantly reminded that the takeover has made zero difference on the pitch it's made no difference at all I mean it can't obviously I understand that I mean until they get a, a new manager of their own I suppose but it's it's um it's, I mean it's it's stupid but it's come as a bit of a sort of slap in the face every time watching it that no very much the club <laughs> is exactly yeah. is in exactly the same position Flash forward to New Era Part 15 when we get knocked out of the FA Cup in the third round. <laughs> well, just wake me up in five years' time when We're we actually still do win for the... it to start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we give we give Reece James a lot of space, didn't we? And he notched a couple of good goals. And I have to say as well, the <laughs> Chelsea's goalkeeper was it Mendy, the goalkeeper for Chelsea. He um he, he had time to do about two or three Sudoku's that afternoon. You know, he's probably picked out a couple of colour matches from the Dulux uh, chart for his bedroom. He's uh he's had a lovely afternoon, hasn't he? He's just sat there. He could have had his picnic table out, anything he wanted. He just didn't even get bothered. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. The trip to Brighton now, it becomes a huge game, doesn't it, Chris? So huge, in fact, that you've sacked it off and given it to George. <laughs> exactly, yes. The, the, the man for the for the big, small occasion. <laughs> a small so man grateful. for a big occasion. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I mean, you just have to look, just looking at the Premier League table actually is alarming. Oh, yeah. I mean, Newcastle are second bottom on four points. Even if they win at Brighton, they're unlikely to even go up one place and there still will be three points off safety. That is what is so concerning. It, 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 if you look at the fixtures they've already had as well, they've already played a lot of teams who you'd like to think they would have had a chance of getting pointed. I mean, yeah. just, they're the bottom half teams. They've already played Wolves, they've already played Palace, they've already played Southampton, they've already played Villa, Watford, Leeds, and they haven't beaten any of them. And that you look at the December fixture list is horrendous. And so there's 10 games to navigate before they can even bring in any players whatsoever. And some of them are against, you've got Man City coming up, you've got Man United again, you've got Everton in that in that period, you've got uh, Arsenal to come. There's just various games, which Newcastle, just Liverpool as well, all of these matches, and you just think, where are they actually going to win these games? The Norwich match in a few weeks is absolutely huge, but they go to Brighton, a team who are seventh in the Premier League, went to Liverpool and gave it a very good goal, have looked very good so far this season. Newcastle have a ter- terrible recent record against them. and But they can't they can't go there anything other than trying to... They, they need a win. They, have, they can't let this drag on too much longer. You can't get to the November international break and not have won a game and expect to not be in a season-long relegation battle. There's been a bit of context, hasn't there, hasn't there too, for that those comparisons that were being made between Graham Potter and Steve Bruce 
last last season <laughs> or maybe a bit before. Yeah. It's like, oh well, yeah, Potter's playing. He's playing decent football, yeah. But I mean, yeah, but they're on the same number of points as Newcastle. And um, why is Steve Bruce getting pelters and things like that? Well, because it always looked like this was this was what was going to happen. That Brighton had an identity. They were very brave in doing what they did, and Potter was very brave as well in sort of just going for it straight away, deciding that they were going to play football and that they were going to have this style, an expansive style, and they were going to stick to it no matter what. And this is how it always felt. I'm not saying I thought Brighton would get to seventh, but or that Newcastle would be second bottom, but you know, one team has a very clear identity, is very comfortable with it, and uh, you know, playing really well and getting some good results. Meanwhile, Newcastle, it's the same shapeless shit that we've been watching for 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 so long. And I'm I'm not saying that. I mean, I suppose that is offensive. I'm not meaning to be offensive, but it's like, it's just. You know, it's turgid and it's rubbish, and it's we're having on, though, George. It's the same questions. It's the same questions being asked that have been asked for, you know, ever since Newcastle went down and then came back up again. And the Burnley win was a blow as well, wasn't it? It, it kind of widened that gap, and now only Newcastle and Norwich are are the only two winless teams in the division now. And I mean, we said last week, last week Six when points. yeah, we said last week when Bestie was on that we were ankle deep in the shit. Well, I think we're you know it's kind of nearly over our knees now, isn't it? It's, we're going to have to be very careful here. It's uh, it's going to be a difficult few weeks, and we've got a. An interesting run of fixtures in the next in the next six to eight weeks as we go through the Christmas period and out the back end of November. So we're going to have to start getting some points on the board and fast. Um, we've got a few questions in from from um, subscribers on the real time feed on the Athletic app, and some of these were, were kind of along the similar lines. So Kevin D, Paul, Alan, Tommy are all asking about the team and players who aren't playing at the minute. Kevin D says there's a case to be made that there's more talent on the bench than on the field lately. Do you have an insight as to why some of the more expensively signed players aren't making the team under Bruce and more latterly under Jones? Chris, anything? Well, I mean, the interesting one is Jamal Lewis, I suppose, at left wing back, as it would be now, even with left back, he obviously wasn't getting a game. And because I, th- I don't think Joe Linton will come as much of a surprise in terms of why he isn't necessarily playing. He was playing under Bruce, but isn't playing under Jones. But but the thing about uh, Jamal Lewis is I know that that it hasn't quite worked out how they hoped that it would for him. He obviously, he, he's, he's had various issues over the course of his time in the castle. He's had COVID, he's had injuries, um, he's had suffered a loss of confidence. He's also struggled moving from a team who played with a lot of the ball to a team who just doesn't have the football most of the time. Um, and... He, I have been surprised by how little he's still featured in recent games, um, but he he really is a strange one because I don't think Matt Ritchie's been in necessarily the form that he, that he has been recently. As for Joe Willock, I think again that's to do partially with injuries, um, lack of preseason. He's he's been having injections in his toe in recent weeks, and and just sort of a lack of form really. Um, that's why I think that those players haven't featured as much. Uh, and Paul, Allen, Tommy both ask about the centre half situation as well. And and Federico Fernandez is a is a name that keeps popping up. What has Fernandez done to be out in the cold? Why do we continue to play Kraft as a centre back? Um, and also, is uh, Lascelles completely undroppable as captain? To me, George Federico Fernandez is the best defender that we have at the club. Why is he not playing football? Yeah, it's a it's a perfectly reasonable question. Uh, Graham Jones was asked about him at the weekend, and he basically said that. I mean, he was asked why he wasn't on the bench, and he said he either has to play or 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 not play. That there's no point putting him on the bench, and I think that means, um, you know, bringing on Fernandez wouldn't wouldn't change a game positively, whether you're in a difficult position or a good position. I mean, you can take you can say what you want about that uh, sort of logic. I mean, we can only um, go on, uh, you know, what what both managers have done this season and, you know, they're, they're, they're backing their judgment from what they say on the training pitch. I mean, the problem with, with all of these players is that they're, you know, they're all getting older and they haven't been replaced. And, you know, this is something that uh, Alan Shearer talked about on Match of the Day about recruitment. And so there's a, the, the, there's a sort of, one issue about how bad that recruitment has been. So this goes back to the previous question, to Kevin's question. But, you know, Jalinton, okay, well, we don't need to kind of go back into that. 40 million quid. Newcastle's bench, if you take away the keepers, was more expensive than Chelsea's. I mean, that's pretty astonishing when you think about it. Um, And Joe Willock, who, you know, obviously came in last season and did brilliantly towards the back end in terms of goals, 
how much thought was actually given as, as to what position he was going to play, about what he was going to bring to the team, um, you know, aside from goals, was it just trusting luck that um, that he would score loads of goals again? What more does mm. he give? What more can he give? And again, someone like Lewis, we mentioned, what was the plan for him? How was he going to develop? As far as <clears throat> you can see, there hasn't been one. And then you look at the centre-halves and, um, you know, this is a different kind of question about recruitment, but players who may have gone beyond their sort of natural lifespans as a Newcastle players are still there. Mm. So instead of moving people on like Fernandez or uh, Gale, plenty of others, they're still there because the cheaper option was to keep them as opposed to replace them. George, do you... Th I get, I get that about about some of the players whose times passed as as being part of the club and stuff. But for instance, somebody like Fabian Shea. I mean, he's playing well for 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 Switzerland when he plays for them. He's he's a ball playing centre half. We struggle under pressure a little yeah. bit with the ball. We're not keeping possession. Is there a reason why he's not getting a game? Is it an attitude thing? Is it a fitness thing? Is it is it a trust thing? I just you know he he's gone from probably being one of our best players to being nowhere near the team, and I just don't understand how it's happening. No, I mean I think sort of certainly when Shelby's out of the team as well, that um, he's yeah. the one person that can that can do that, um, that he can can be on the ball and um, and is is very good in possession. I think like everybody else, he suffered from a lack of confidence. I mean the thing is I don't look at any Newcastle player at the moment and think that they're deserving to be in the team. Um, you know, on form or on merit. I just don't think there are those players. And so things have been switched around to try and get a tune. I mean, you know, the question about the cells, I completely understand that. He's looked like a rabbit caught in the headlights sometimes. And yeah. again, craft. But you can sort of go through pretty much all of the team and make and make an argument to say Kieran that... Kieran Clark's been struggling. Kieran Clark's been struggling. Kieran Clark has struggled, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the, what, know, the, I was sorry, I was just going to interject on I mean I'm, I've been surprised I have to be honest since Jones has come in that, that I know Shelby was suspended for one of the games that neither Shelby nor Cher have played because I know that he was influential towards the end of last season and wanting a ball player deeper which is part of the reason why Shelby even dropped into centre half at times later on last season I know that Jones <laughs> yeah. so, so I've been a little bit surprised by that and I don't really know exactly why that's been but in terms of just on the Fernandez not on the bench I just I just don't understand that because it's not like when you used to only have five substitutes. You can have nine substitutes on your bench. And if Jamal Lascelles or Kieran Clark goes down injured in the first five minutes, then surely Federico... And now Federico Fernandez hasn't been playing particularly well, as none of the Newcastle players have in recent weeks. So there is a footballing argument for him not to be there. But I just find it a little bit strange that one of your most experienced players... I don't know the reason behind why he hasn't been on the bench, but I just don't quite buy that he can't be in the squad. It's not It's not like when you used to only have a few slots on your bench, you can have a yeah. few attacking options. You've got, you've got nine substitutes on your, that you can have on your bench. So I'm not quite sure on that one. Yeah, I would have to agree there, Chris. Definitely. Well... Uh, Newcastle will need to get some points on the board and quick Graham Jones is going to need to sort out what's going on with that squad and if no new manager comes in soon you would imagine he's going to be in place against Brighton we're going to be back in just a second with Thomas Concannon from War Flags Right then, it's great to be able to welcome Thomas Concannon back to the podcast Hello Thomas How are you lads, you alright? How's it going? Not too bad. Thomas joined us at the back in the last season to talk about fans returning to the stadium, but he's here in a slightly different capacity today because Thomas is one of the fine folk behind War Flags uh, who recently resumed their great work with these crowd surfing banners uh, that we've so enjoyed in the last couple of weeks. Thomas, it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you back, mate. I know I've known you for a little while uh, and, the, and the, the flag stuff is just so... Uh, it's exciting. I love seeing it at the game. It's, it, it must feel great to be back in the stadium doing that again. Oh, definitely. It, it's it's one of the, the very few positives we have as a Newcastle fan at the moment, especially those that are part of the flag <laughs> group. It's um it's great for us to do and, and the plaudits we get from other people like yourselves and, and, and fans. It, it's just great to hear. It's great that everyone seems to enjoy them. And, and uh, yeah, we, we, we don't seem to get... We don't get a lot of negative feedback, put it that way. Um, a lot of it is very positive, and the, the yeah. you know the backing we get financially from fans as well is fantastic. It just looked it looked beautiful on on Saturday, Thomas. And so congratulations, and also thank you. I mean, before the before the Spurs game too, it must be. I mean, I sort of got that overwhelming feeling, particularly before Spurs, and for the first ten minutes about everybody at the club 
pulling in the same direction again, which is, yeah. you know, and to have your to have your flags there as something that encourages that, as opposed to sort of, you know, roaring out defiance is um, is uh, is something very special too, isn't it? Oh, definitely. It was the, the Tottenham game in particular was um, was quite emotional because I mean I've continued to go throughout, mm. but there was a lot of people who stopped going. Um, a few years ago and obviously we weren't doing the flags and, and it was just great to see them inside the stadium again because I know how much it meant to them. So there was there was that side of it as well and, and the display was fantastic. Um although no no one really notices but the banner that was at the bottom was the what was the wrong way around. Um but yeah that's probably breaking <laughs> news on this podcast I think. <laughs> but it was um but it was it was just a fantastic day, and then obviously we were we just couldn't wait to get back into it, and we sort of had the first two first two home games back planned as to what we were going to do because we really wanted to use the big flag again. Obviously, we'd spent so much money on it, um, so that was obviously our marked for the Chelsea game once we'd done a, a sort of special display after Tottenham. Thomas, a few years ago when you went to pick up this flag, I was on the phone to you when you were driving. Uh, I think you were through Germany at the time, and if I remember correctly, <laughs> you, you took a wrong turn and got lost. As I was on the phone, you discussing oh, you well bringing done, back Chris. the flag. I know my fault again. <laughs> um, I mean, absolute that- chaos. Everything, <laughs> everything you do, Chris, isn't it? <laughs> but I mean, so that this flag has it has it just been has it been in St James's for the last couple of years? Obviously, since there's been the exile, where has it been? And sort of how intact was it? What sort of condition was it when you you pulled it out again? Yeah, so it's been in the stadium. Uh, it was it's far too big to shift. Um, it was actually being kept in the strawberry corner, um, where the the disabled access is, um, just tucked away in the corner. And when we went to get it out um, the other night, I think it was Wednesday night. We uh, there was five of us went in, which was nowhere near enough people for that for that size of flag. It was a complete mess. It was knotted. It was um, there was quite a few rips in it, um, and so there was a, a lot of repair and was needed on Thursday. But it was a it was a hell of a job to try and get it the right way around, and and uh, yeah, it was a complete mess. But we've uh, we've sort of come up with a system now that it, that hopefully won't happen again in the future when we use it. And in terms of your name on the flag, do you do you know where obviously that the on the flag are displayed all of the names of of the, of the people who donated to, to make it possible? Do you can you find your name easily? Do you know where it is on the flag? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, mine's spot bang in the middle, so I kind of know where to look. But it's uh, and like I'm surrounded by all my um, all my family's names as well. So it's uh, and Con Cannon's a surname that stands out quite well. So it's uh, it's easy to spot. So uh, yeah, I do know where mine is. And I've just got a quick question, Thomas, as well. That you use that the beautiful lyric from uh, from Big River, obviously for the for the Spurs game. How do you come up with these ideas, and how do you sort of decide between you what what gets used and what doesn't? So. It starts off with a very with with quite a few very bad ideas um, that sort of work that sort of <laughs> that sort of work their way up into what becomes the display. You know, we we have a WhatsApp group with about twenty five <laughs> people in, and, and we just bounce ideas off each other. Um, and eventually, someone just stumbles across it. It sounds amazing to everyone, and, and we just go with it. Um, that that tends to be how it works. And the Tottenham game was a tough one because we were very stuck for time. Normally, we'd plan these things three or four weeks in advance. We had just yeah. over a week for that one. So it was very difficult. We were very pushed for time. We were lucky it arrived on time. Um, but that's that's tend to be how it is. We, we just discuss it in the WhatsApp group. And and yeah, it just it comes to life on the terraces. It's, it's, it's great. It's great. It's a great group to be part of because everyone's so involved. You know, we all do it in our spare time. And, you know, we're lucky enough to go into the stadium when it's closed and, and get everything set up and, we have a great relationship with the people that work in the club as well. So it's, it's just a fantastic group to be part of. It looked amazing, Thomas, when that flag was unfurled at the start of the Chelsea game. Um, but I've seen a few people saying this on Twitter as well. It would be nice if you could just pull it back up there and cover that cover that end of the pitch when the football's so bad on the pitch that some people don't have to watch it. Can you just leave it in place for 90 minutes? We, we certainly tried. Um, it, it came down a lot quicker than what we planned anyway. Um, it, seemed to get, it seemed to reach the top and then it was falling straight back down there. Um, that was one of the we're, we're quite you know we're very specific about when the timings go up we work closely with the um the stadium announcer who does the music and and we sort of we have a cue as to when to go and and um yeah it just it came down far too early um we we it's it's that heavy you're relying on probably 20 people at the back to hold on to it not just three or four that can stand on each stairway so 
I think as soon as the team started coming out, everyone was just like, right, let's let's let it go back down again. And uh, I want to see what's happening. Yeah, yeah, I want to see what's happening. And and yes, yeah, so it just it came down a little bit quicker than what we'd hoped. But I think everyone got a got a good photo, and that's what it's all about. We just it's just all for the atmosphere. It's just to set everything up. And I think right Absolutely. now, I think we all we all have an, a, a very important part to play because you know we're, we're in a right slog till January now, at least, aren't we? And and. Mm. Yeah. You know, we, we need the atmosphere absolutely bouncing every single time. And that was probably one of the things that disappointed me against Chelsea. The atmosphere was just picking up when they scored. And, um, yeah, you know, that's that's what the flags is all about. We try, we just try and get people up for the game. And, and yeah, we just we just hope we can continue to do our little part and, uh, and hope that the terraces do their bit as well. Well, you've you've you you were absolutely 100% the best thing about Saturday and. You know, you deserve huge credit for 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 keeping the atmosphere going during some really sort of difficult and um, you know difficult, desolate moments over the past kind of few years. And so it's just brilliant that you're there back now doing doing the same thing. Um, and so I'm sure people people feel great gratitude to you, and so they should. One one question, I mean, and I'm not kind of wishing to kind of bring up controversy, but you know we. We all know about the sort of um, contentiousness that has been around the club in the past few weeks. I'm sure we've all felt that. Do you? Does that come into you to play when you're deciding, or when you've been deciding what to say or what to put on your flags? I mean, there was obviously. I mean, I don't want to sort of make a joke of it, although it is fairly ridiculous that there was some misinterpretation of the banner on Saturday, mistaking Spanish City for a mosque, um, but. How much does that sort of stuff come into play with you at the minute? Uh, to be honest, George, it doesn't, and because you know, and I, I think that's really important. You know, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of discussion around it, and but we're we're a group that is very much focused on the football, and 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 we try to keep it that way. We focus on Newcastle United only. We try not to bring politics into it. Um, we we're very much focused on the team. Um, we have been vocal against obviously the previous owner. But more just the running of the football club. We care about Newcastle United. I think it's. I think you know. There's there's other people better placed than war flags to to have those discussions. I think it's very difficult to to articulate anything in any you know in anything that we do um, that that justify or that that can you know articulate an argument. Is basically just repeating myself. But yeah, sure. it, it's just one of those things. We we as a group we just focus on the team and. I think, like I say, I think that's really important. We're just we're just there to support the lads, and I think that's that probably echoes around the whole group as well. I think it can make a massive difference, Thomas. To be honest, with with the the crowd and getting people up for the games. I know in the past when I've been to St James's Park and things have been a little bit sort of dicey with the team, the the kind of energy felt like it had been sucked out of that stadium before a ball had even been kicked at some time. Yeah. Um, but the flags being there really energises people, doesn't it? And I know the TFOs and flag displays and stuff are massive on the continent. Um, do, you, do you think we're going to see more and more of this around the Premier League and around football grounds in England? I think so. I think it's becoming quite popular. You see it um, quite often at Crystal Palace. Um, Leicester do their own as yeah. well. I think the you know once everyone has a safe standing section in place as well, I think you'll see a lot more of this stuff happen once you get like-minded people in the same area. That's one thing that we're really interested in with the flags is to... Is to get an area right behind the goal um, that is designated for safe standing, um, just to help keep that atmosphere going for ninety minutes. I think it's fair to say that it drops off quite often, and I think that's because we haven't had a, a section designated for singing since our, I think the old level seven days, have we? So um, the atmosphere does go quite drab, and, and we've just I think that's one thing we're interested in is to is to keep the atmosphere going for ninety minutes, and I think what you'll see is with those displays. When you see safe standing introduced around the league, it'll become quite popular. Um, it is a good, it's a good tool to get people up for the game. Definitely, definitely. Well, listen, mate. Thank you very much for coming on. I know you're a busy boy. We really appreciate it. Uh, and and the flags are wonderful. And, and and keep up the good work with that. It's it's an absolute joy to see them flying in the stadium again. And and hopefully there'll be three points will come along with them very soon. That's that's what we need. So thanks again for coming on, mate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no problem at all. That's really appreciate the support, Thomas. Cheers. Can I just make? Can I just make one request? Can you like at the end of the season? Could you do like, like a blooper flag of your worst ideas, <laughs> and even if it's just like a Greg's pasty, just you know, I don't. I mean, obviously oh, not offensive stuff, Chris but you know, that would just be. Roll. 
it would just be brilliant to get like the worst, the worst of, because I mean that's what you know that's what happens at the end of television programs and stuff. I just love that idea. I'll run it by the group, George, and we'll uh, we'll get that. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Just my face on a massive flag. That's really what I'm wanting. Yeah, no problem. Well, that's what we all want, George. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot to Thomas. And if you want to find out more about War Flags, go to at War Flags on Twitter and we'll put their web address in the description of this episode. So check that out on your podcast app. Uh, and while you're online, get yourself onto theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod for a 33% discount on the full price of a new subscription. And there's about 750 articles on there about Newcastle United at the minute. So get yourself stuck in. Okay, we're back, and we're going to dive back into the uh, the search for a new manager. And although he has cut a refreshing figure in his uh, media duties, it's fair to say that the fans have been slightly underwhelmed by Graham Jordan's team selections for the last two matches. Uh, a new manager feels necessary to rejuvenate the squad and to build a tactical template to guide player recruitment in January. So, George, what what's the progress like on this? Uh, is the likely he- likelihood of getting someone in before Brighton? Is the is there any chance of that? Well, I've spoke to people over the weekend. Um around the match and after the match and sort of saying that this is the week when movement is expected in terms of not talking about it anymore and actually sort of making decisions and putting proposals forward. At this point, as we record, I would not be at all surprised if uh, Graham Jones is still there for the Brighton game and that the appointment is actually made during the international break. But that's not definitive. And I do think there is a sense of urgency um after after the result at the weekend i don't by the way i don't think it's a lack of urgency in terms of not having an appointment already i do think it is reflective of this interminable sort of decision making process and lack of structure that there is there at the minute i do think they sort of understand and recognize i i think there was probably a bit of a hope that graham jones might buy them a bit more time when that sort of stuff uh, has been going on in the background but obviously it hasn't so yeah, I was told that this should be the week when they they decide that uh, opinions are put to the board and that they then act. But that may still take take us into the international break. And Chris, there's a new name linked with this job every single day, isn't it? The bookies' favourite seems to change every ten minutes. And Unai Emery was the most recent name, which was getting bandied around left, right, and centre. And he's apparently come out and said, "I know nothing about Newcastle today." Uh, so you know, there you go. We don't know what's going on, do we, Chris? He doesn't know that Newcastle exists, so what? I mean, apparently, I think that's what he means. I've never had a study, says Unai Emery, <laughs> in shock reveal. <laughs> I mean, part of the reason why there are. So many names being bandied about is a a lot of agents or people are trying to get the names put about, and there's a lot of speculation. Newcastle become interested, but also, as George and I wrote about ten days ago now, there is so many different elements that Newcastle need in this managerial search. But the the longer the winless start of the season goes on, the more trouble they go into. What they really need is someone who's going to come in and provide that sort of short term shock. And I thought it was interesting that. Graham Jones, in one of his interviews after the game on Saturday, basically even said himself that it needs a fresh pair of eyes. And I'd agree with them because the ideas aren't new. The ideas aren't different. The, the the formation that they've switched back to in the last couple of games is what they started the season doing. It's what they ended last season doing as well. There doesn't seem to be that. Inje- it just feels like someone needs to come in with a fresh pair of eyes and say that we'll try and do this. And it may or may not work, but I just think that it just feels stale. And if even the guy who's been putting interim charges saying that, then I think that, that that really sends out a message. So there are so many names who have been linked. There are so many elements to the consortium, as we know, as George says, this sort of convoluted decision-making process. And it's just hope that, that the decision is made sooner rather than later. I understand all of the stuff about process and all the stuff about making the right decision rather than rushing into it. But the longer you leave this, the, the more risk you're going to have of the appointment that you make being futile because Newcastle are going to be so far cut adrift that basically the project's going to be pushed back 12, 18 months, if not longer, but the fact that Newcastle are no longer going to be a Premier League side. Exactly. 
Uh, we've had a few questions on the on the real time feed. This one came in today, and and obviously with uh, with regards to recent happenings elsewhere in the Premier League, would Nuno be a good short to medium term fix? I don't think he's been given a fair hearing at Spurs. Would Newcastle accept him if it meant we stay up? Uh, that one came in from um, Nuno's mum, Mrs. Espirito Santo. There, uh, <laughs> no, it actually came in from Graham V. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo, George. What 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 do you think? I mean. It's as good a name as anyone, just, isn't it? I'm, I'm just so disappointed that he's been hounded out by by Spurs fans. Just absolutely that, disgraceful, and he's he's done such a good job there. He's done a, at least a good job as the bloke before him, and he's a good, good man as well, and and doesn't deserve this abuse. Doesn't deserve this abuse. Bit of sarcasm there. Bit of sarcasm. Yeah, lovely. Um, I mean, I think. I mean. You know that's only happened today as we record. Um, I think they've gone a long way down this process. I'm not sure it's um, sorry. I have to find myself ten quid every time I say process. That's twice. That's now twenty quid. Um, you know they've they've spoken to their candidates. They've looked at their candidates. I think this has kind of come a bit. I think if it was Benitez, for example, who was suddenly available, that might change things. I'm not aware that this has changed things. That's fair play. And there's been some ridiculous names as well, hasn't it, popping up? And I've seen some stuff which has made me laugh with scorn. Uh, John Terry was a name that was linked at one point last week, and I said I would rather eat my own hands than have John Terry manage Newcastle United, and I genuinely would. I'm not sure how you would do that, though. Might need some barbecue sauce or something on them. But John Terry, that's not a serious name, George, is it? Surely not. I mean, it's a serious name, but... Um, <laughs> He's a very serious man, no. isn't he, John Terry? Is it a serious name? He's got two first names for his name. I never trust a man who has two first names, John and Terry. No, I'm not, not, not a fan of that. What about people with surnames for first names, George? Well, name me one. Uh, Taylor Payne. No, don't trust. Don't trust you either. Don't no, trust him. No, trust okay, I either. wouldn't trust him. No. Um, I've asked the question. I've asked the question about John Terry. I'm told it definitely won't be him. So um, I just have to have to go go with that. I mean, it's um, you know we've seen people like uh, Frank Lampard and, and Gerard and Rooney uh, all being mentioned. I mean, it feels like a very tough job for somebody in their first in their first appointment. Having said that, you've seen people like. You know, Gerard do very well at Rangers and, you know, uh, Rooney at Derby and indeed Lampard at Derby. But I'm told he's not he's not under consideration. And as Chris said, a lot of names are coming forward because their agents are doing it. I'm sure a lot of conversations are being had within the new ownership group that don't actually lead anywhere. But I'm told he's he's not in for it. Fair play. There has been one appointment, though, Chris, hasn't there? Elliot Dickman signed as lead player development coach for the under-23s. Yeah, quite the mouthful, that isn't it? Um, the that, this that <laughs> I mean this this has been a process that has been on ten quid, ten quid, Chris. Yeah, um, ten quid. The so th- this this was this almost sort of uh, precedes the the takeover itself because Newcastle have had quite a turbulent spell with their under twenty three coaches. Chris Hogg left earlier this season, or very start of the season, to go to MK Dons to be assistant manager. Uh, then Gary Caldwell came in for a three week. Temporary spell, which was all a rather unusual. Um, and they've been looking, they've been interviewing various candidates. They've also been going through sort of trial periods. And Elliot Dickman, who was at Sunderland and very well there, uh, has, has, has been appointed. I think Steve Harbour, uh, who's, who's head of the academy, has been leading this. And hopefully that is a sort of positive step forward because um, because they're really, that, that side has, has had too much turnover over the last few years since Peter Beardsley, you've had Neil Redfern. Had Chris Hogg, there's been far too many under 23 coaches, which is is not good in terms of a for those players themselves and sort of having that uh, manager who can develop them, but also the link between the under 23s and the first team. If, if that head coach keeps changing, then it makes bridging that gap even more difficult. That's fair. Um, we will say as well, congratulations to Elliot Anderson uh, on his call up to the Scotland under 21 squad, a promising player for the future there, George, young Elliot. Yes, very good news for him. Absolutely. Uh, we did get some questions as well on the real-time feed on some of the manager stuff. Uh, Evan M has asked, uh, who are the candidates for director of football, George? Have we heard anything about this? And when can we expect something? And he's finished this off with hashtag Culkin for manager. Um, I just want oh, to distance God, myself from anything like that. That's like, but that's back to me having my face on a massive war flags flag again, isn't it? Um, 
He hope Culkin Culkin's face with just hope hopeless written underneath. <laughs> hopeless. That was or how it nope. would be. <laughs> nope. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't last. I wouldn't last very long. Um, uh, but thank you very much, Evan. Um, well, I mean, I've I've sort of been told all along about things like director of football that this is something that they're compiling a report on, and you know that that's something that should be looked at over the next sort of month or so. Um, so I I'm not sure that that comes before the manager. Um, these are big decisions, and so when we've looked at, can- I mean, I, I think at the same time as that report being compiled, they will be putting feelers out um, about candidates and judging availability and, and things like that. But I can't, and I've seen all the same names that you have, um, but I can't sort of answer uh, who they would be definitively. I mean, one of the sort of things about the you know the delays in this whole thing is that they've had someone in Frank McParland who's been uh, around the group for a, for a very long time and is has been, has been due to take on a sort of wide-ranging recruitment role and would be taking part in this report and helping compile it and sort of doing an audit of the club um, in, in terms of first-team matters. He still hasn't had a contract signed, signed off yet. And, you know, I'm not saying that he won't, but we're now three weeks more than three weeks down the line and that still hasn't happened so there just hasn't been that movement on the football side um and there does need you know there needs to be there needs to be and it it needs it kind of needs a football hand on the tiller to really kind of get a grip of the club and see what happens both now and then sort of moving forward as well Absolutely. And Chris, just a quick one from Stephen M. What's happened to Santiago Munoz? He's not been seen for the under-23. He's wondering if there's some paperwork issues or similar is holding him up from playing. Um, in terms of paperwork issues, not that I am aware of. I know when he first arrived that there was a period of sort of, uh, he had to isolate essentially for a period. And then a large part of it has been him sort of acclimatising to a new city, a new, well, a new country, a new city, and also trying to get him up to speed physically. I know that was the one concern that there the sort of was about about uh, Santiago Munoz, how, how quickly he would he would develop, how quickly he would train across. But also, I'll go back to, to Elliot Dickman being a point, I think the fact that they've lacked an actual long-term head coach has been mm. an issue for the under-23s. And <clears throat> so really getting that continuity is for someone like Santiago Munoz is, is exactly what he needs as well. So I, I suspect in the in the coming weeks and months that we will see more of him for the under-23s. It's an 18-month loan, so um, we're already a couple of months into that. And so he, he'll certainly want to be playing soon. And it, yeah, I think it's partly that sort of physicality and, and adapting to, to new league and getting him up to speed with a sort of new country and all that. But I, I think we will see him soon. Well, we'll keep our eyes open for him. That's it for another week. Thanks to Thomas for popping in again. And thanks, of course, as always, to Chris and George. And, of course, thank you uh, to you lot, the listeners, uh, for all your questions and just for putting us in your ears in the first place. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Until next week, everyone, take care of yourselves, watch the roads, and from everybody at Pod on the Time, it's a jolly nice goodbye. See you later. Athletic.